to Many Windows, Conversations on Ministry. I'm your podcast host, Jules Taylor, coming to you from Meadville Lombard Theological School in Chicago. The call to community ministry and chaplaincy is growing. Vocational discernment should always include gathering information. To that end, I've recorded a series on military chaplaincy. Earlier this year, I interviewed Unitarian Universalist ministers who serve as chaplains in each of the military branches and their components, as well as the UUA's ecclesiastical endorser. Military chaplaincy is not a monolith. Each branch has its own rhythm and personality. In addition, there are different ways to serve, active duty, reserve, National Guard. This series is a 101 beginner's guide to military chaplaincy from folks who work and live this call to serve those who serve in uniform. As an Air Force chaplain myself serving in the Air National Guard, these are conversations I've thoroughly enjoyed. To start this series, I have the honor of speaking with the Reverend Dr. Sarah Lambert, Ministry and Faith Development Co-Director and Ecclesiastical Endorser at the Unitarian Universalist Association. Chaplains who work in federal systems, military, veterans administration, and federal prisons all require ecclesiastical endorsement. Sarah is going to talk with us about what that is and how the process works at the UUA. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on the show and being part of this podcast today. I'm really excited to talk to you today about ecclesiastical endorsement. Yes, it's quite a mouthful, isn't it, Julie? <laughs> Not only is it uh, a mouthful to say, to spell, and then uh, I'm sure most people probably have no idea even what is that? What is an ecclesiastical endorser or endorsement? Who needs one? Help me out here. So endorsement for the purpose of Unitarian Universalist um, clergy is uh both, you know, just your regular letter of endorsement that says you have credentials, you know, that you might need for a civilian job. But for federal ministries, federal chaplaincies, such as the Veterans Administration, the military, and the Federal Bureau of Prisons, there's a much more formal role for what's called the endorser. So um, I am actually listed with the Department of Defense as the official endorser for Unitarian Universalism, which means I'm the only person who can vouch for your credentials if you want to become a chaplain in any of those three federal chaplaincies that I just mentioned. Right. That, okay. That, so I think that word vouch, kind of, kind of the, the endorser is the one who can officially vouch for is probably a, a shorthand way to talk about that. And specifically what we're going to talk about today is, is the is that level of endorsement, not necessarily for a civilian position, but any of those that may come under under the umbrella that you talked about, military chaplaincy, uh, veterans, veterans uh, administration, so VA, and uh, if it comes up within a uh, federal prison system. Did I That's right. That those one? are the okay. three. Uh, and, you know, the federal government can't really decide whether someone is a Unitarian Universalist minister or not, or whether they qualifies a Roman Catholic priest or a reformed rabbi. So they rely on the endorsers to say that this person has been trained and is credentialed within our own system. So that's, that's my, that's, a, it's a strange marriage of religion and federal government, but that is how they manage that within those three settings. 
yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense to have, uh, to have, yeah, just, uh, rather than trying to update, you know, can, can you imagine every time something comes up with a new list of, of people pot potentially available for as Unitarian Universalists for a job within uh, federal chaplaincy for if the Department of Defense or whoever had to actually go through our process and records and find that? that what a nightmare. And then multiply that by all the different endorsers that are out there. It would never happen. So no. exactly. <laughs> so there are about two hundred endorsers, of which about five are women. <laughs> so ah. yeah, yeah. Oh, we could do a whole. So, part. what kind of oh, questions, Julie? Do you think like Meadville students or other students who are preparing for ministry might have about the process? Well, I think the first one to to get into often is uh, how. Number one, as students are thinking about this, mm -hmm. there are different programs and we're going to have, we're talking to other people about the specifics of candidate programs and, and those processes of the branches. So that's not so much the question for you. How, uh, how would somebody, if they're choosing to while they're in seminary, even early afterwards, how does somebody get endorsed to be a, 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 an endorsement uh, with you to become a military chaplain specifically? Because that's what we're talking about for this set of podcasts. Okay. Well, in the... In the setting for the military chaplaincy, while you're in seminary, you should actually reach out to me as the endorser if you're thinking about going into military chaplaincy, because um, these candidate programs that you're mentioning require endorsement, interestingly. Um, so there's something that we can provide if you're an aspirant and also in seminary that's called endorsement for the purpose of military chaplain candidate programs. And these are programs that you have to get into before the end of your second year in seminary. And you also, there are also age and fitness um, requirements for getting into those programs. But I'm a useful person to talk about the different options that there are, because you can go Army, you can go Navy, or you can go Air Force. They're very different programs, um, very different cultures, and the candidate programs are quite different as well. They really are. So that I, I just want to kind of foot stomp what you just said, even uh, as as a student or even someone just beginning to consider or think maybe even before potentially uh, uh, getting into seminary, if you're thinking about becoming a military chaplain to contact your office, because that, that conversation needs to happen sooner rather than later, even in the exploring stage. Yeah, I've actually even talked to people who are in ROTC in high school who are already thinking about becoming military chaplains. Wow. I love those conversations. Um, and, you know, I think it's just a helpful discernment process, too, yeah. because there are some subtleties involved in thinking through all the ethics of becoming a military chaplain and the things that your um, partners have to be able to agree to if you have partners that rely on you in life or dependence, um, you know, think, thinking about things like, am I willing to be deployed? Um, right, right. Those are important things to be thinking about early on. Yeah. So how, how, uh, from, from your perspective and this question comes up, I know it comes up for me as, as folks are wondering what, what branch, what, what branch would make sense to, to serve in which, what, how should I choose that? Well, a lot of people have family members who've served and they sort of have like maybe a connection to a certain branch or some familiarity with that. Mm -hmm. um, the army is the largest of the three chaplain services and has, you know, the greatest breadth of programs. And, um, you know, for those who like jumping out of planes and doing things like that, there's some opportunities sometimes in the army. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, even for chaplains, and- let me say. Even for chaplains, Even for, for things chaplains. like that. Yeah, we for do. Like yeah, that. we have yeah. chaplains who've done airborne school, which is pretty cool. That's right. Um, and so Army is, a, is you know, the best opportunity in terms of sheer numbers of, of job availabilities. Mm-hmm. The Navy is interesting. The Navy is a smaller, it's like the midsize between the three branches. And they serve not only the Navy, but also the Coast Guard and the Marines. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone who might be interested in the sea services and wants to maybe experience different settings like that, um, that's a great option. And then the Air Force is the smallest of the three. Um, They are more chapel oriented in their ministries, although they're trying to break out of that. and so it may have the most opportunities to kind of mimic parish ministry, but in a military setting. Um, and, you know, I, there's no magic to choosing which one. I think it's good to talk to chaplain recruiters from all three branches if you're really totally new to the whole concept of the military. Um, but those are some starting points for the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yes, especially I think you like you said if there isn't a, a a drive for one or another also talking to other chaplains who are serving in those capacities too. It's part of why we're doing this podcast series to get some of those perspectives and some of the flavors of of yeah. the differences in those in Yeah, those why did you choose Air Force for example? You had contacts there. You knew people there, right? I did. I did. And I had, I, I was being recruited by both army and air force, but, and on the guard side, which uh, air force is, is different on the guard side in terms of, of chaplaincy too, and that we don't have chapels. We don't even have spaces. Um, we, uh, so that's a little bit of a different piece. And we'll talk about that too. guard reserve and active duty have a very different ways of serving as well. For me, uh, the deployment, not just the deployment cycle, but also the location of the base and the mission that I was initially recruited to is why, why I wound up uh, choosing the air force, uh, the air national guard component. Uh, oh, also now new too. I don't know that we have anybody yet, but w- it will happen too. Cause the air force will be providing then chaplains for, for uh space force. Space force. Yes, that, we have when that a person through. currently in seminary who's in the chaplain candidate program for the Air Force who's really hoping to be assigned there. But I think it's going to be like the sea services. You'll probably serve both Air Force and possibly Space Force if you're in the Air Force, although it's not guaranteed. Yeah, I think that's I think that's likely to mimic that as well, since it works well for the Navy. But we'll see as that as that all uh, rolls out. So you did mention to mention two age limits and fitness stand, standards. So can you just really briefly give a little bit of an idea about this? Yeah, yeah. So um, pretty much you have to be uh, 36 or younger to get into the chaplain candidate programs. And um, age waivers are possible, but um, they come and go. <laughs> in terms of their availability. And right now I've recently heard that they're cutting back on age waivers for those programs. Uh, So, and then fitness, you have to be able to pass the PT standards of the particular service that you're applying for. And you also have to pass medical, uh, a medical exam uh, before you can exceed into that branch. Yeah. And, and let me just say too, PT in a military context is 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 uh the physical test not not physical therapy so <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. not physical therapy <laughs> yeah yeah and it's different in each of the branches um it used to just be push-ups and running but now um there's planking and there's pull-ups and there's there's curls and there's all sorts of things that they're doing 
um, that are new. So you just have to find out what the latest standards are from the recruiter when you're applying. Yeah. And uh, if folks, I know, I think uh, in terms of age limits to waivers, if you're, if you're going chaplain candidate, there's going to be different numbers. And if you're direct commissioning, let's say you've been a minister for a while and you're thinking about this there, there, and, and a recruiter will know, we'll have some of those links in the show notes. Uh, if you're not thinking chaplain candidate pro- program, but are, are hearing this and are thinking about uh, potentially this being another uh, potential uh, avenue for ministry. And so if, if you've done enlisted time, that also can change some some numbers. It's never a, a bad thing if you've already served enlisted. You can also then potentially serve as an officer, and that's not a bad that's not a bad. Yeah, thing sometimes they'll count prior service, um, but generally the target date is forty two years of age for active duty and forty six for um, for reserve and guard. Yeah. And that's not the candidate program. That's if you're, if that's you're looking at direct accessioning. Yeah. Yep. So uh, let me, let me ask too, from, from your, you've been doing this actually a bunch of years. And so you've had lots yeah. of conversations with lots of people at different par- stages of their, of their formation and vocational discernment and shifting from parish to considering doing military chaplaincy, active duty, reserve, all of this. Why, why, from your perspective, have you heard about, and what do you think, why would somebody consider uh, being a military chaplain or even potentially like a VA chaplain? Well, I think they're both really amazing opportunities to do ministry. So I'm one who believes, regardless of one's political views about the military, you know, about the military system, uh, people deserve to have ministry wherever they are. And, um, and especially there's a, a special need for LGBTQA affirming, you know, plus, plus, plus uh, affirming chaplains in the military, because there's a limited number of denominations that will do that kind of work and and that provide that kind of space and welcoming. Mm -hmm. Um, And Unitarian Universalists make great military chaplains. There's a lot of, you know, especially if you're drawn to young adult ministry, it's a great way to serve young adults. It's a great way to serve, you know, a group of folks that might not be in our congregations. Mm-hmm. Much more diverse in the military than it is within our walls, unfortunately to say. Yes. Um, and you know, not everybody is called to be a parish minister or even to be a civilian, you know, hospital chaplain or whatever other pathway. Um, the military provides opportunities to change positions every three years if you're active duty. You get the opportunity to, to travel, possibly. We've had chaplains live in Japan and in Germany and all sorts of places. Um, it can be challenging too, though. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, it's, you have to stay physically fit, mentally fit. Um, there's a lot of demands uh, on you, at, not only as a chaplain, but as an as an officer, as you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of support that some of our ministers don't get, like an administrative support. That <laughs> sometimes our ministers. Yes. I mean, you could talk about what it's like to serve um, with religious professional. What do they call it in the Air Force these days? religious uh uh religious affairs airmen yeah yes religious affairs airmen who serve a dual purpose as a bodyguard when you're deployed but also the administrator and sort of the go between between the airmen and the chaplain yeah and and there's there's an element like there there's a similar element with different they're called different things in all of the branches so that yeah. is that is a piece there's a there's a, a connection that we kind of we don't exactly come as as uh 
as a one-to-one, -one, but the different branches utilize uh, enlisted uh, enlisted leaders in a in a similar capacity. Um, yeah, so so that that is a different, absolutely a different way to to think about a ministry team than is in a, a congregation. Because yeah, in congregations, generally the administrator is there for the congregants, not for the minister particularly. Although sometimes maybe they help with some scheduling or things like that. Um, I remember hearing. I remember uh, one of our active duty chaplains who'd been who'd been. Uh, uh, a parish minister for a good number of years talking about how uh, one of the one of the great things about military chaplaincy is never having to preach a stewardship sermon and have to do uh, <laughs> a, a stewardship campaign ever again that that's taken care of. And I think that's another I mean, that's another advantage in terms of of military chaplaincy is the the benefits packages, the education packages, those are other pieces, uh, retirement packages, healthcare, that and opportunities there, not just for the member, but also for uh, often for other members in the family as well. That is kind of unparalleled and 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 not 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 the same as in any civilian uh, capacity as well. Yes, it pays well. In other words, <laughs> it pays yeah. well, but and with other benefits too. That yeah. can again, some of them can even be passed along to to family members, and that's yeah, absolutely. And think about all the training you're going to get as an officer. You know, um, you know. I think too few of our ministers think about just serving maybe three or six years in the military just to gain the experience and the officer training and the leadership training that you get. Um, and then taking that back into the civilian sector or else, you know, like you do serving in the guard or the reserves means you can have a civilian ministry and a military ministry. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say the leadership training in, in a number of different categories over the, over the years that I've served uh, is remarkable. And, and the tools that, that I've not only just learned there, but uh, articles and, and pieces from that we've, started using and I've used in, in courses that I teach. It's just real solid, solid, uh, big, you know, big training, big ideas, and absolutely ap applicable across other kinds of ministry contexts and just, you know, leadership contexts. So yeah. I think you're right about that. Yeah. So what are the requirements for military chaplaincy? Well, you have to, so the, this is not for the chaplain candidate program. This is for exceeding into, say, um, active duty guard or reserves. You have to have passed the ministerial fellowship committee. So you have to be in preliminary fellowship. Um, there is a pathway for people who are transferring from another denomination. And so if anyone here is, is listening to this, who's considering transferring to Unitarian Universalism and wants to be a military chaplain, I would just say, reach out to me um, to have that individual conversation. But in general, you need to be in preliminary fellowship and then um, be able to fit the, you know, pass the tests, as we mentioned, the physical fitness tests um, and the medical exams. And then you're good to go. I mean, you the first step is that um, once you're once you're accepted, you know, once you put a packet together and get accepted is that they send you to officer training. Yes, they do. And if you've been enlisted before, you get to do pieces of that again. <laughs> it's like a it's like a boot camp for officers, right, Julie? It sure is. 
with people uh, yelling at you and although they call you sir and ma'am while they yell, but uh, yeah, that, that, <laughs> that, that they really do. That experience happens. And then, and then, uh, and then chaplain school, different branches call it something different, yeah. but then there's an, ex there's a, a version of that, that all the branches have where you learn to do uh, kind of ministry chaplaincy, it, the way that that branch it branch specific needs so you kind of learn that that way to do it and taking all the the skills and tools that you have as a minister that you've learned that you've worked on how how does that fit in how do you nuance pieces here what what do you use well, what i would say need? when you're putting your packet together you know you have to submit like a preaching video uh these days and so um because you're going to be doing some inspirational speaking in various settings in the military. And they just want to see that you can put that together. Um, both the Navy and the air force require in-person um, interviews, which are quite intensive from what I understand. And the army, I think they have um, a Colonel level person, maybe interview you over zoom or on the phone. I'm not sure they actually fly people in for in-person interviews, um, but they have these things called the accession boards where they take a look at your entire submitted packet. Now, getting a packet together takes some patience because there's a lot of paperwork involved. Um, and I think there's a sort of hurry up to wait rhythm sometimes in the military, but you can find yourself uh, from having the idea of applying to being in the military pretty quickly, actually, <laughs> in a way. Um, a little bit slower with the Air Force than the other two, I would say. Yeah, and depending on how, mu how much paperwork you already have done, do you have all the back stuff that you need for medical, let's say for, you have all your records, medical, uh, there, there also is a, uh, uh, there's background, uh, checks and background clearances. So sometimes the, the weight part could be how much time you have to put your own packet together. If you're thinking chaplain candidate program as a student, you've also got assignments due and all that. So yeah. figuring out that rhythm of getting all that paperwork together, listen, it, that could take a while. And, Sometimes there's hiccups. Uh, one thing I know there are for definitely sure, hiccups, and for sure, just like I recommend all of the students navigating processes with the MFC, I say the same thing with military. Keep a copy of everything that you send anyone. You always want to keep your own copies of everything. That's no different in any any professional scenario. That is a good best practice. Always make sure you have your own copies in case something gets lost. Yeah, yeah. But we should talk about the VA too, Julie. There's um, talk about a it, lot yeah. different. So there's no age requirements or fitness standards for the VA chaplaincy. Most VA chaplaincies are in hospital settings. Mm -hmm. um, not all, but um, most. And uh, for VA chaplaincy, there are actually advanced training requirements. So you have to have at least four units of CPE to be able to apply for a VA chaplain position. And you have to become board certified within a year of work of beginning your position within the VA. So you have to be well on your way to becoming board certified. So those are things to really think through because you'll, you know, you, most people have that initial unit of CPE, but then you'll need to do a residency before you apply. Yeah. So I'll also say too, if, if you're thinking and wondering, this is just, this is an additional way. Uh, we I've already talked to, to one person that did their residency at a, at a VA uh, and I did. I actually did my residency at a VA as I was thinking about: is working in the military is that a good fit for me? Um, just 
people. Is that, am I going to fit with them? Or are they going to fit with me? So that residency, you don't have to, obviously it's a residency. You don't have to have your four units yet. That's how you get it. So VA residency is going to be different than applying for a job as a VA chaplain. I just want to make that distinction yeah. since we've kind of talked about that. I do believe ways. you get, um, you get to be, have like a year where you're have higher priority for being hired after doing a VA residency. So that is a good idea for someone who's thinking about applying for that position. And recently we've had a quite an increase in the number of UUs serving in the VA. For a long time, there were just a couple people and I think we're up to um, maybe as many as 10. I'm oh, trying to great. run that down. I know we've had at least 10 people endorsed for VA chaplaincy, but I only have confirmed six right now. So okay. that's a really powerful ministry as well. Again, having done my residency there, spent a year at the VA, a really wide variety of people. And it's becoming, you know, the, the changes that are having to go on in the VA system because of the changes of who is serving in the military is really expanding what those systems and organizations are going through too. Your job as a, as, as a chaplain, you're going to be certainly supporting and serving the the patients there the clients but also staff as they're in as they're navigating the changes happening organizationally so there's some really powerful powerful opportunities for uh supporting people through change there yeah and i just want to mention for anybody who's listening who may have applied in the past for via chaplaincy and been frustrated it was very difficult in the past to get a job in a va you had to basically um have been deployed and been injured a wounded warrior. Um, but nowadays they have been reclassified from administrative to clinical and the uh, standards for hiring have shifted significantly. So it really has to do with your training, um, less to do with your experience as a veteran, although veterans of course get bumped up a little bit in the priority. That's really and nowadays know. they don't hire through a national office. They each, each medical center does its own hiring. Oh, that's that is a that's a huge change just from a few huge years change. ago. Just for, oh, that's good to know. Thank you. So, what kind of support, uh, whether a VA chaplain or military chaplain, candidate status, all the way to when you wind up serving, what kind of support uh, can uh, 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 an individual anticipate for the, from the the UUA, the UUMA? What's out there? Well, the UUMA has a chapter now for military chaplains, which is really wonderful. Um, and the UUA provides um, a, a training event once a year for military chaplains. Um, we do a lot for military chaplains because there's a tendency, especially for active duty chaplains, to get isolated. You know, you're pulled away from the mainstream of Unitarian Universalism. And, you know, um, it's not, you know, you need somebody who can kind of uh, understand and provide some top cover. With That's me. That's my job. Uh, for the military chaplains. I'm the only one who can talk to the chief's offices on behalf of the chaplain. So when there are issues, I'm the one who gets involved um, and does some advocacy. And, you know, for even for those like who like yourself who are, you know, in a Meadville community, you're right in the middle of Unitarian Universalism. Still, it's such a different world being in the, you know, the Air Force Guard. It's only these other military chaplains who can really, really understand that world and kind of share that with you. And so getting together once a year, um, people tell me it's like water for thirsty people and people really, really look forward to that event. Yeah. Um, our VA chaplains, I, I, we not really, I just have to be honest and say we haven't done as much to support them because, well, except for, you know, one-on-one -on -one times, there've been times where there've been some pretty serious 
issues, uh, you know, pers- uh, you know, human relations issues that I've had to get involved with. But I've actually recently reached out to all of our chaplains, and we're going to be having a Zoom conversation to talk about possibly starting a VA chaplain chapter at the military, at the military, excuse me, at the UUMA, and see what we can do to do more supports there. As far as I know, we still only have one minister currently serving in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, so that's got to be a lonely life. We have other people serving in state prisons. Um, The federal prisons are the smallest percentage of the prisons in the country, but um, yeah, so so that is TBD, you know, Um, yeah. Sure. I'd love to see more of us serving that in that role as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Both at the federal level, state level, local level, all that is, again, really important, an important place uh, for for a presence in the kind of the kind of ministry that Unitarian Universalists can provide just such a wider, a wider variety of people and needs often. So, yeah, I mean, the CLF does a wonderful ministry in the prisons, but it's not the same as having a chaplain present to you in person for for spiritual care. Without a doubt, without a doubt, without a doubt. So, uh, oh, you know what? There is one one last group that we haven't talked about that I just want to touch on really briefly, and that is the groups like Civil Air Patrol. Oh, uh, right. And 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 that 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 group, and and we can touch upon that. I'm hoping to get an, a, a, another one of these specifically with that group, so that we can talk a little more deeply about what that experience is. But can you just do a brief uh, summary, also, because you would also you would also endorse them as well? Yes. Yeah, they actually. So the Civil Air Patrol is what they call the benevolent wing of the Air Force, and it's part of the total force of the Air Force. Um, what they do is they um, they do rescue missions, air rescue missions, and they're all volunteers. Yes. Um, so they are maybe retired pilots. Um, there's no age or fitness, re- you know, requirements for that. But there's also no pay. Um, the pay comes in the form of, um, you know, people really enjoy being chaplains for these wings, and um, there are also youth programs um, that they run that are kind of similar to the Boy Scouts, except I think they're actually in-person kind of camp situations and. Um, so we have a number of UU ministers serving as um, as CAP chaplains, Civil Air Patrol chaplains. Yep. There's also a track for that within the Navy, the Coast Guard Auxiliary chaplains. We don't have anyone currently serving as a Co- Coast Guard Auxiliary chaplain, but they do boat safety um, and uh, maybe to some degree some rescue missions as well. Um, and that's an opportunity too. That's also another all-volunteer um, situation. So for folks that might be interested, but maybe are, are outside uh, some of the some of the limitations that uh, that being part of a Department of Defense uh, chaplaincy might offer the Civil Air Patrol, the Civil Air Patrol, or maybe even this. Uh, uh, would you say Coast Guard, Coast Guard, Coast Guard Auxiliary Chaplain? Coast Guard Auxiliary, that that that's another potential possibility. Also, is going to require this ecclesiastical endorsement, and so again, they'd need to get in touch with your office about that. Yeah, and then. They, they participate in our annual training events and in the military uh, minister's chapter. And, um, and so it's a great group of colleagues to be a part of. It really is. Thank you. I'm glad we, I'm glad we, were glad you remembered that. that. Yeah. Goodness. Pulled that in for, pulled that in for a little bit too. Well, thank you. Is there anything else that you can think of that we haven't covered that would be in, that would be helpful whether well, folks are students or, or already out there thinking about this? What else did we miss? What else should we? I'll just mention one hope I have for the future. So we have this one, ministry called the Great Lakes 
ministry and it's a lay led ministry. Um, they provide uh, weekly services for Navy um, recruits who are there for training purposes up at the Great Lakes Training Center. And it's essentially boot camp for the Navy. And so it's incredible that we have a Unitarian Universalist service every week. And we, you know, we, I end up hearing from, um, you know, like a fireman aboard a ship who's become a UU at the Navy Center and wants to know if I can send some materials so they can do a lay led service on their ship since there's no UU chaplain on their ship or things like that. And I would love to see other ministers um, who are near training bases uh, reach out to those training bases and find out if they could provide such a service or if they could get a lay group together. Um, and, you know, there's a, already a model in place up there at the Great Lakes. I'm sure they'd be happy to share their their own 501c3 at this point. But it started, I think, just at one of our congregations um, or it actually, actually started- the Lombard students, wasn't it? It was. It was. It that. was. Yeah. It was Meadville Lombard students as part of their uh, their leadership initiative. I don't think that was what it was called at the time, but their projects that they uh, that they to to uh, chap. Well, eventually they became chaplains. Uh, yes, started that, and it continues. Let me just say too. So it's called that lay the the it it's the military calls it lay led services. Just to be really clear, though. That's from a military side saying that that's not military chaplains leading it. That is others from the outside leading services for groups that don't have maybe a chaplain that can lead it. So from the military calls that lay led. But however, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, hey, we've got one of those bases right here and you're a minister, you can participate in that. Right. So yes. just because it doesn't have to be not, you know, lay people everywhere. That's just, a, I just want to make that distinction very clear. Ministers yes. can provide this too. And we have at the, at the at Great Lakes, ministers have, have been part of those groups and have led that over the years. Um, and, and so I just let that language use, yeah. gets used in different ways. And they've come up with sort of a system because the the people are there for seven weeks. So they kind of have a seven week rotation of services. Yep. Um, yep. And it, it's, you know, it becomes, you know, it's not that difficult once you get it rolling. We also have um, quote lay led, like you said, services yep. in Germany um, on some of the air force bases there that are led by lay, in this case, actually lay you use. And when a, you, when a UU chaplain happens to go there, it's such a bonus for them. But those have been going on for years. And so if you're interested in that, call me, call me and I'll have a conversation with you. Because again, it does require a letter of recommendation from the endorser saying that I know who you are and actually spe- specifying who can come on the base. Yeah. And I, oh, thank you for bringing that up. I'm really glad you did. And and, uh, and that is powerful. We can we can add the link to the to the website, to the Great Lakes uh, UU ministry, military ministry as well uh, in the in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks for spending some time and and illuminating this many syllabled, right, multi syllabic <laughs> uh, word of the Unitarian Universalist Association's ecclesiastical endorser for uh, ministry, federal uh, ministries, federal <laughs> ministries. Thank you. It is really <laughs> wow. So uh, again, thank you. I appreciate. I really appreciate your time. And so, and also, just not only that, but thank you for the care that and and attention that you have given these federal ministries for all the years that you've been doing this. It has been a game changer for all of us that that uh, that receive the extra particular uh, care and attention that you really do bring and and. Uh, and the honor that happens uh, that, that you've brought along with your role in this uh, in this way, just thank you, thank you, because 
because of the care that you bring, lives are changed. Lives are changed in, in the in these chaplains' ability to do the work that we're all doing all over the world. So thank you. Thank you. It's my deep honor to do so. Thank you for listening. Many Windows, Conversations on Ministry is a production of Meadville Lombard Theological School. Theme music is Destination by Just Thea. This episode is produced by Jules Taylor. And as always, a special thank you to Tomo Hillbuck.